today we're going to be uh, going, we're, gonna, we're studying for the next four weeks, and we started last week, and we talked about Jesus being our wonderful counselor, but we're looking at the prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, where Isaiah, 700 before, years before the birth of Jesus, prophesied who Jesus would be. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to jump right into it. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 says, For a child is born to us, a son is given. Remember last week we talked about the fact that a child is born to us. That's why we celebrate Christmas, that God became a man. He became a baby and then grew up and became a man. And then a son is given to us, the fact that his purpose and his mission on this earth was to die on the cross for us so that we could experience forgiveness. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. If you missed that message, you can go back on our website and check it out. But Jesus is our Wonderful Counselor who gives us guidance, who allows us to experience rest, who is always available. He gives wisdom and he gives advice that's way beyond any sort of earthly advice. And so he's our wonderful counselor that we can count on. Today, what we're gonna focus on is he's our wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. So circle, if you're in your Bible, circle that mighty God. You mean Jesus is mighty God? Well, I thought he was the son of God. I thought he was, and, and many people in our culture, if you were to ask them, they might say something like, hey, I think he's, he's a good prophet. He was one of those major prophets from the Bible. Some people might say he was a good religious moral teacher. I was getting my hair cut. I've shared this uh, probably before with you guys, but I was getting my hair cut one time, and as the lady had the scissors an inch away from my head, she said, uh, she, she started asking me what I do. I said, I'm a pastor. She goes, oh, yeah, you know, I'm a Christian, um, but that whole, like, Jesus being God, I just don't know if I can wrap my head around that, and I don't know if I believe that. I'm like, well, here's the thing. That's the kind of cornerstone of Christianity. Like, <laughs> if you don't believe that, that's kind of a hard one, right? You, you, that's what it comes down to, because in our culture, there's many views about who Jesus is, and no credible historian would ever say that Jesus didn't walk this earth, but as followers of Jesus, we believe that he is the Son of God, and by saying he's the Son of God, he's equal with God, he's God in the flesh, and he's mighty God. And that's what Isaiah said 700 years earlier, that he is mighty God. And so um, what I want to do is I want to give you guys... Uh, some and equip you guys, encourage you guys. Where, what does it say that if somebody were to ask you that question? Well, where does it say that he's God? Uh, how do we prove that he's God? Well, the Bible has scriptures all throughout, and I'm going to take you through a little journey today to show you that Jesus really is God. Now, I want to start with Isaiah, or, uh, G Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 14, and he's. Jesus is with his disciples, and it says in verse 13, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do you say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Just like I said, right, if you were to ask somebody in our culture here today, they would have different views of who Jesus is. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? 
Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. When he says you're the son of the living God, Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. You have the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so each person within the Trinity is co-equal, they're co-eternal, and they coexist together. And so there's this perfect unity within the Trinity. That doesn't mean there's three gods. It means it's one God revealed in three persons. And Jesus is the Son of God, which means he is God. And so he, Jesus, uh, he says, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. Now the Messiah, what does that mean? The Jews had been waiting for the rescuer, the Messiah, the one who was going to come to save them. And so you have Isaiah 53 with the prophecy about with a suffering servant and what the Messiah would come to do. And so they had been waiting, waiting for the Messiah. That's important. Because when Jesus is speaking to his disciples at Caesarea Philippi, they are under Roman law. They're under this Roman government that oppresses the Jewish people. And so they're crying out to God, God, we need you to come and rescue us. And what they think is God is going to send his son to come and rescue them and set up an earthly kingdom. But what he came to do was to set up a spiritual kingdom, the kingdom of God. And so the Messiah has come. When, when Peter says this, you're the, the Messiah, the son of the living God, Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. So you don't see Jesus like saying, hey, no, 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 not, I'm, I'm, not the, I'm not the Messiah. No, no, no. He receives it and understands it. Now, let me tell you something. You can fool people at a distance. It, you know, and in your life, like if, even as a pastor, I could, I could, that's not probably the best thing to say, like, hey, as a pastor, I can fool you, right? Like, you could just get up here, you can see me preaching. Uh, but, but if you go to my family and you ask them, who, who is Billy Andre? Who is he really? They'll know who I am, right? They see me behind closed doors. They, they see that, that who, who I really am. And it's just like Jesus' disciples, you know, he could have fooled people hypothetically at a distance, but he walked with these 12 disciples so that when they said, you're the son of the living God, they knew he was the son of the living God. And so what I want to do is I want to give you five ways or uh, five things to write down to uh, answering the question, how did Jesus prove that he was mighty God? Okay, so I want you to write the first thing down here is Jesus created the heavens and the earth. Isn't that cool? Jesus created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So who's the word? The word is Jesus himself. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. What do you mean? Like Jesus actually created the heavens and the earth? When you go out to the ocean, to Bodega Bay, and you're driving along, and you see that gorgeous ocean, and you see those big cliffs, and you go, Jesus created that. When you, when you go out to Armstrong Woods and you're going, man, look at these big sequoias, these redwoods, and you see the beauty of the forest, and you go, 
Jesus created that. And we live in such an aesthetically pleasing and beautiful place here in Sonoma County that we get to enjoy God's creation. We get to go take those hikes and be outside and we look out on a December day and I guess it's cold, but it's gonna warm up and there's gonna be sun out and we get to experience that. You know, um, there's another verse here in Colossians chapter one, verses 15 through 16. It says, the sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority. All things have been created through him and for him. And, and the Bible continues to go on that all things hold together in him. And so this, this, the sun is the image of the invisible God. Isn't that say a lot? I mean, when we, when we look at it, we go, we don't know who God is. How do you know what God is like? Well, go ahead and go into the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you begin to read the Gospels. You begin to read about Jesus's life and the miracles he did and the way that he treated people and the, the love that he showed, and you go, that is God because Jesus is God. And so we get to experience that and see that. Um, there's a, another great verse when, in Genesis when God has created man. And what does he say? Let us make man in our image. The Hebrew there is Elohim. It's God in the plural. It's say, let us make. So you have literally within the Godhead, you have a conversation going on about creating us. The fact that God created you, that Jesus created you. So that's a powerful, mighty God, mighty God. The second thing I want to say about Jesus being mighty God is that Jesus performed miracles. We just got through with studying Matthew chapter 8, right? And Jesus is powerful. He has power over disease when he healed the, the leper. He has power over um, nature as he calmed the storm. He's got power over evil as he cast the demon out of the, de out of the de demoniac. And so here you have Jesus performing many different miracles. And there's this great verse where John the Baptist, he um, gets arrested and he's in prison and he's awaiting his trial. He's eventually gonna be martyred for his faith. <clears throat> and as he's in, in prison, he sends some messengers, some of his disciples to Jesus to say, are you really the son of God? Because when you go through trials and traumas, all of us have gone through something and, and maybe you've gone through and you're like, God, well, what are, are you still in this? And, and your perspective is off. Well, John is in this moment of doubt. It doesn't mean he's doubting God, but he's, he's just wrestling with some things and he needs some assurance. And so he sends some disciples to Jesus. The Bible says in Luke chapter seven, verse 22, so he replied to the messengers, this is what Jesus says, go back and report to John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. And what you have is a, literally a fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah 61 verse 1 and other prophecies in Isaiah. And so you have Jesus performing miracles. He was powerful. 
People saw him literally give sight to a blind man and to heal someone who was crippled and couldn't walk. And he was, and not only that, he's forgiving people. And only that was attributed to God. And he's forgiving people. So you just see miracle after miracle in the, in the New Testament and what Jesus did when he was on this earth. The number three thing that I want to share with you about Jesus being mighty God, and this is one of the most compelling things, is Jesus fulfilled prophecy. Jesus fulfilled prophecy. There are over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament about Jesus coming to this earth, how he would be born, where he would be born, how he would die, what he would do during his ministry on earth. And so you take all of those 300 prophecies and, and it was like a fingerprint. And you, th you think about our fingerprint. None of us have the same fingerprint. But you have this fingerprint of what the, the Messiah would come to be and Jesus fit that fingerprint perfectly. Now, there was a statistician at one point who wanted to figure out, okay, what's the, what's the chances that Jesus, who walked this earth, fulfilled these prophecies? Because you kind of you go, okay, well, listen, Billy, there's a prophecy about him riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. Jesus could have arranged that, right? You go, there's a couple things where you go, well, he could have probably tried to figure this out and arrange it. There are certain things about Jesus' life that he had no control over, though. Like, for example, as we celebrate Christmas, where Jesus was born. We can't, he couldn't have figured that out. Did, I, did any of you have any control over where you were born? You're like not knocking on your mother's womb, being like, I don't want to be born in Kaiser. I want to go to Memorial, you know? Like, I don't, you, no one's doing that. We don't have any control. And so we have a very specific prophecy in Micah chapter five, verse two, great Christmas prophecy about where Jesus would be born, right? But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. So here it's saying that the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. Also, you have a prophecy in Psalm 72 that's going to describe the, the events surrounding Jesus' birth. Now you have Psalm 72. May the kings of Tarshish and out of distant shores bring tribute to him. May the kings of Sheba and Seba present him gifts. Verse 11. May all kings bow down to him and all nations serve him. And so you go, okay, here's some very specific prophecies about where Jesus is born and the events surrounding his birth. Now, look at Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, as we celebrate Christmas this season. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is this one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Is that amazing? That, that, in that verse, you see two prophecies about Jesus being fulfilled. Now, the statistician, he says, okay, I'm gonna figure out what the chances of eight of these 300 prophecies coming to happen. And so he figured it out. 
that it would be 10 to the 17th power. That would means that it'd be 10 with 17 zeros past it. And he created this picture. He said the chances of somebody doing that would be the same as if you were to take uh, silver dollars, which no one uses silver dollars anymore, but if you take silver dollars and you were to fill the entire state of Texas two feet with silver dollars, and then you were to mark one of those silver dollars, and you would take a guy, I'm just going to take Langdon here, and I'm going to say, Langdon, I'm going to blindfold you, and you're going to have to just go walk around Texas, and you're going to have to try to pick out the, the right marked coin. The chances of that are astronomical. It ain't happening. That's just eight prophecies. We're talking about over 300 prophecies of Jesus. Stuff like crazy stuff, guys. For example, in Psalm 22, there's a description about crucifixion. So the Bible in the Old Testament is talking about the crucifixion a thousand years before Jesus is crucified on the cross and like 800 years before crucifixion was even invented. Can you imagine that? Like you've got literal prophecies about certain things that actually come true and you go, there's no way. That's just coincidence. You would have to be crazy to say that. No, why? Because it all points to the fact that Jesus is almighty God. And he came to fulfill prophecy. Now, um, the next thing about that I want you to, to write down here is that how did Jesus prove that he was the mighty God? Is that Jesus claimed to be God. He actually claimed to be God. He, wasn't, he didn't go around saying, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not God. And no, I, I, he actually claimed to be God. And if I were to claim to be God, you would say, Billy, uh, either you're, you're self-deceived or you're crazy. Um, if you were to say the same to me, I wouldn't believe it. So, so here's the thing. When people give the argument that I, Jesus is just kind of a good moral religious leader, he's a, he started a movement that continues throughout today, it's, it's not enough. You see, he actually claimed that he was God. So either he was, like C.S. Lewis says, either he was a liar and he was trying to deceive people or he was a lunatic and he was crazy and actually thought he was God, but he was not in touch with reality or he truly is God. Jesus says this in John chapter 10, verse 30, I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. I was talking to somebody recently and they were telling me about Jesus, and we're having a conversation about Jesus, and, and he was saying, like, you know, I, I've studied other religions, and, and Jesus is kind of the, the best option out there amongst all these different religious leaders and all these different religions. I just, as, as, as I've kind of studied, he's the best option, <laughs> and I'm like, uh, can I just tell you something? He's the only option, <laughs> and, and I shared with him the scripture. Jesus answered, I am the way. I am the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He didn't say, I am a way amongst other ways. I am the truth. It, no, no, no. He, says, I, he didn't say, like, it, there's, an, uh, there's other options out there. There's no other options. Jesus is the only way. But Billy, 
doesn't that seem pretty narrow-minded? And doesn't that just seem like, oh man, Christianity is the only way? No, I, I see it as God is so merciful and so loving and cares so deeply about us that in our sin and in our brokenness and when we were separated from God and there was no way for us to get to God and we, we could try through religious activity and we could try to earn favor with God, but we would always fall short that in God's mercy and his kindness and his love for us, he sent his son Jesus to make a way. And so Jesus is the way. He's the truth and the life. And Jesus is, is inviting everybody to come into a relationship with him. But it's only through him. And that's a merciful and loving thing that God could do. And so he says, Jesus is on the way, the truth, and the life. John chapter 8, verse 58, um, he's having a conversation with the Pharisees and and basically, you know, they're talking about uh, Abraham. And, and, and so Jesus says, you know, before Abraham was, before Abraham even existed, I existed, right? And they're like, what are you talking about? You're not, only, you're not even 50 years old yet. And this is what Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 58. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. Now that word I am is the same description of, of God when, when God was speaking to Moses in the burning bush. And Moses was like, well, who do I tell him sent me? And he says, I am that I am. Je God, that's the very name of Yahweh. And so Jesus is saying, I'm Yahweh. I'm God in the flesh. I am the great I am. It was a great story. Uh, it's not in your notes here, but uh, there's a great story about Jesus after he, after he resurrected from the, the dead. And uh, he appears to his disciples, but there's one disciple that's not there yet. His name is Thomas. And Thomas, you know, he gets a bad rap sometimes doubting Thomas. But I think Thomas isn't with the disciples because he's so brokenhearted over the fact that his, his saviors died on the cross. And he's like, he's, 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 in, he's in grief. And so um, the disciples, they come back to Thomas. They go, we saw the Savior. We saw Jesus. He's been resurrected. He's rose, risen from the grave. He goes, I won't believe it until I put my hands in his side and in his hands. I, I won't believe until I see those nail scars in his hands. And so Jesus, at a, another point in time, appears to Thomas. And, it, and Thomas sees his Savior, his resurrected Savior, and this is what he proclaims. He says, my Lord and my God. And, and Jesus says, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, Thomas, but my Father in heaven, right? And he says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Blessed are those that we haven't seen the physical Jesus, but we've experienced him in our lives. We experienced the life change. We've experienced him through community. We've, we've read about him and understand by faith through the word of God that he has done what he's done for us. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe, and, and, and we get to believe that Jesus is Lord. And that's the, the last thing I want to share with you guys is the, the, probably one of the greatest proofs of Jesus being the almighty God is Jesus rose from the dead. And you're like, Billy, we're celebrating Christmas here. What are you talking about? You know what? When we, as followers of Jesus, one, we get to celebrate Christmas every day, by the way, right? 365 days a year. But we also get to celebrate not only his birth, but we get to celebrate his life and then that his death and his resurrection every single day because that's the gospel.
And so Jesus dies, he's buried, and uh, some women came, right, to go see, and they were going to kind of uh, put some burial uh, ointment on him. And it says this, verse 2, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. And so literally they come back to Jesus's tomb and what? It's empty. We got to go to Israel a few years ago and we went to, you know, what some people speculate or is, is the tomb of Jesus. And, I, and we went in and we went and visited and it was empty. It still is empty. <laughs> Why? Because he's risen and he lives. But, that, but this is something that sets Christianity from every other world religion. Buddha, his grave is not empty. Muhammad, his grave is not empty. Confucius, his grave is not empty as well. Jesus not only claimed that he would rise from the dead, he actually did. And so what that does is it tells us that he has power over sin and death, and it validates everything that he did for us on the cross. When he says, I'm gonna come to the cross, I'm gonna sacrifice my life in your place to forgive your sins, to be the perfect sinless sacrifice in your place, to pay the sin debt that you and I can never pay. And so we experience that forgiveness and Jesus rose from the de dead. So here's the cool thing now. What does that mean to me? Like, why is that important to me that Jesus is God? First of all, uh, it's important for your eternity that, that if you're believing in something else, today's the day to say, hey, I believe in you, Jesus, because you're the only way to the Father. You're the only way to heaven. So, so it's important for your eternity. It's, it's important for your salvation. But I believe it's actually important too for your everyday today, just going about life, living, just waking up, breathing, everything. You see, the same God who has the power to save is the same God who has the power to change us regularly. In fact, this is, there's, a, there's a churchy word called sanctification, and so when Jesus was on this earth and he was resurrected, after 40 days, he went and he ascended back to the Father. He went back to the Father, but when he did that, he sent us his Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is God's presence in our life and on this earth to be able to live the life that he's called us to live. And so he gives us now power. If, if we serve a mighty God who loves us and has a relationship with us and lives inside of us, then that means this. There is no hopeless situation in your life. There's no circumstance that you're going through that somehow you're just gonna live under for the rest and, and you're just gonna be beat down with. No, because we serve a mighty God who's powerful, a mighty God who loves us, a mighty God who lives in us, and a mighty God who is constantly changing us and forming us into the likeness of himself, Jesus Christ. And this is the power of the gospel, you guys. And so now, not only do we get to believe this and experience this, we get to tell other people about this. That's why we're doing Christmas. That's why we're doing December 22nd, Friday night, Christmas, Eve, Eve, Eve. <laughs> 
That's why we're having this celebration. We want you guys to invite your friends, your family members, your neighbors, your, your relatives, people in your Just invite them. Invite them. Why? So they can hear the same good news. I, can't, I can go into it, guys, about the fact that when I was 18 years old and I came to church and my life was on a trajectory and it wasn't, it wasn't a good trajectory, and yet God captured my heart and got a hold of my life, and I'll tell you, I've never been the same. I'll never regret it. And, and my life has purpose and meaning now. And that's what God wants to do in, in each of your lives and in each of the lives that we come in contact with every day. And so here's a, here's a great verse I want us to, to read. Acts chapter one, verse eight. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Right? Jesus, he says, I'm gonna give you the Holy Spirit, God's presence and his power in your life. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What does he say? You're going to be now my witnesses. You're going to tell people about what Jesus Christ has done in your life. And has Jesus Christ changed your life? Has he, has he, has he rescued you from sin and from shame and guilt? Has he, has he rescued you from hell for an eternity to bring you into his presence and, and have the hope of heaven? Has he done this for you? Of course he has. And so we get to now tell others about that. That's why we celebrate. We're not going into this Christmas season just tradition. We're just doing it because we do it. No, no, no. Because we serve a risen king. We serve a God who is alive. And we serve a mighty God who knows us intimately, who loves us, who we can, who we can experience that love. Uh, yesterday, as I was as I was leaving um, the, uh, the men's event and I was going, going somewhere. And so as I pulled out, I was just thinking about all the testimonies I heard and about all the life change of these guys. And, and I started thinking about my own life. And I just started reflecting on like, God, thank you for how much you love me. And I, I had this song in my head that's going like about how God loves me. And I've just got this going on, right? And I pull up behind the car, and, and, and in front of me, there's a car that has like a dusty window, a dusty windshield, but on the back of it, somebody had written in the dust, I love you. And it, as, as, I was, as I was contemplating this, it was just an emphasis of what I was already feeling and experiencing, and I just felt in that moment like that was God saying to me right now in that moment, God, I, I love you. And you know what I said as I was taking the left-hand turn from Occidental Road onto Fulton Road? I just blurted out, I love you too, God. <laughs> That's what it is. We have a relationship with God. Oh, it just gives me chills just thinking about that we, we get to wake up in the morning and, and praise him and thank him. We get to experience his guidance and his wisdom that in the moments that we mess up and we fail, he's not there to hammer us, but we experience his grace and his forgiveness. And so we have a relationship with God. The, this God Almighty. And so let's, let's go to him right now. Let's praise him and thank him for who, who he is in our lives. Father, thank you for uh, sending your one and only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for us. Lord, there might be somebody in here right now that's never come into a relationship 
has never experienced that intimacy with you, that right now they would say, Lord Jesus, come into my life and make me the person you want me to be. I, I lay down my guilt and my shame and my sin to you, and I lay it down at the foot of the cross where you died for me. God, thank you for, for your love for me. I experience and I receive that love right now. Lord, we are so grateful as we are in full swing of the, the Christmas season, and Lord, we just have to admit to you that sometimes we get so busy that we just forget that we have a relationship with you. And so, Lord, help us to be focused on you this Christmas, Lord, to, to understand your love for us more, and that, Lord, our love for you would just continue to grow out of that, and that our love for others would also grow, and that as a church, we would grow in your love. So we thank you again. Jesus, we proclaim and we declare that you are mighty God. Thank you that you came to save us, and thank you that you've come to change us as well. In your name we pray, amen.